Well, you look well. Hope everything is going okay for you. Hey, no complaints. You know, I just finished treatment last week, so I'm in my recovery phase and that, yeah. so good. no complaints. Good, good, good. And just as an aside, there's going to be a couple things like uh, in at the office where Wendy is right now, a train may go by, and so we might have to pause. Um, and I'm at home, and I have animals, and so they might make noises. So there no might problem. be times we, we it makes it uh, authentic, right? <laughs> Absolutely, that's life. You know, things get in the way sometimes. That's, that's right. right. That's, that's right. True. Which is kind of a good segue of introduction. You know, life does get in the way sometimes. We're moving along life, and then bam, something, something happens. And for you, you know, you had a, a big shift in your life. Cancer really threw you a serious curveball. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did. And, and, you know, it's hard for me to believe it's, it's been over 10 years now that, 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 that curveball came my way. And it's, it's almost funny now because I was originally treated at MD Anderson in, in Houston, Texas, and every year now, the tumor registry at MD Anderson sends me a letter that asks me to circle one of three categories. Am I alive with cancer, alive without cancer, or dead? So I, you know, just for the heck of it, I, I keep wanting to hang around so I can keep circling one of those. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's so sobering to think about our death on a and I think most of us don't think about it enough, you know, when when we think about our funeral, when we think about what we want people to say about us, it might shake us up a little bit and uh, behave, <laughs> behave a little bit better, right? It, it does. I, when I uh, When I had my leg amputated back in 2020 and found out I had these tumors in my lungs, I went with my wife to the to the mortuary, to the cemetery, and to the church, and I planned my funeral. And because I go on these podcasts and, I, and I'm doing more live speaking now, where I talk about the need for motivation, the need to keep moving forward, I actually got some brushback from people who commented that somehow planning my funeral was in some way defeatist. You know, and, and, and I kind of looked at them like, well, the last time I checked, I think we're all gonna die. I don't think anybody's working on a cure for life right now. <laughs> And that, so, you know, everybody dies, but not everybody really lives. And yeah. there was a Native American Blackfoot proverb that I heard years ago that goes like this. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. That's what I want. That's what I I'm looking that. for. I don't get, I'm not looking to hasten my demise in any way for that, but Death is not nearly as scary for me because I believe I live the purposes for which I was put on this earth to do. Yeah, exactly. And that that is a perfect way to introduce you. Yes. <laughs> Terry, Terry Tucker, we're so happy to have you on our podcast. Um, you're, we discovered you or you discovered us, but it doesn't matter. We're, we, we're just, we just love your message and we wanted to share it. Um, you're a motivational coach, but you've lived many, many lives. I think you might be part cat. Um, <laughs> and I'd love I think to, you're right. Yeah. And I'd love for you to share whatever you want to share about what your background is. Although starting early on, you were a division one basketball player, which, which kind of sets you off for, I think a lot of the mindset of your entire life. So I'll let you introduce yourself that, but let me also plug that you have a book out 
and we want people to go check that out. It's called Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And how's that for a title? Because yeah, <laughs> for sure. And you have a blog called motivationalcheck.com. So those two ways are people can can check you out and they're going to want to after they listen to this podcast. So tell us a little bit more about who you are and what your background is and what led you to this moment. Sure. So uh, I was born on the South side of Chicago. I am the oldest of three boys. You can't tell this from looking at me or from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall and I played college basketball at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. I have a, another brother who's six foot seven, who was a pitcher for the University of Notre Dame, another brother who's six foot six, who was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers in the National Basketball Association. And then my dad was six five. So I sort of joke that <laughs> you sat behind our family in church growing up, not a prayer's chance you're going to see anything that was going on in front of you. But our five foot eight inch mother was always the boss. You know, it didn't matter how big, tall, strong we were, whatever mom said, that's the way it went. So I graduate from college. I'm the first person in my family to graduate from college. And I move home and I'm all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. And I look back now and realize how little I really knew about business just because I had a degree. Fortunately, I was able to find that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain uh, in their marketing department. Unfortunately, I lived with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Mm -hmm. uh, professionally, as I said, started out at Wendy's, then moved to hospital administration, took a major pivot in my life and became a police officer. <laughs> I was an undercover narcotics investigator. I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. Uh, then I started my own school security consulting business, coached girls high school basketball, Became an author in 2020, but for the last 10 years have been battling this rare form of cancer, rare form of melanoma. And then finally, uh, my wife and I have been married for almost 30 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy uh -huh. and is an officer in the new branch of the military, the Space Force. Ooh. Oh, interesting. interesting. Wow. So now you get to live vicariously through her as well. <laughs> you can't tell me anything. It's all top secret. So oh, it's like, no. you know, what do you do? And it's like, you know, all I tell her, like I talked to her last night, I'm like, make sure I'm safe tonight. You know, when I'm, when I'm sleeping and you're working. So right. It's, right. Right. wow. What a resume that is. So yeah, as I said, that's, that's a lot of lives and it, and it you know, it just makes you as dynamic as you are and, and all that, you know, and your wisdom and everything else. So it's, it's so great that, to have all of that background and, and wisdom, you know, from each, from like almost every corner. <laughs> I, I've been very lucky. I mean, I think the things that I've done uh, have really kind of helped me sort of, they build on each other. You know, I, I, the occupations I had in business helped me to be a better police officer and things like that. So everything is kind of built on itself to get me to where I am today. I, I want to jump in here and and say one of my favorite pieces of in in looking throughout your information was uh, your four truths. I really really love those, and so we were hoping that you might take a stab at talking about them. The first one is control your mind, or it will control you. And one of our five foundations of health is mindset. And so it's it's kind of the cornerstone. If we don't have our mindset right, life will just 
toss this around like crazy. So tell us a little bit more about that piece of your four truths. Sure. So th- that's a that's probably the one truth that I learned pretty early in life. Uh, when I was in high school, I had three knee surgeries. And when I went back playing basketball after those knee surgeries, I remember my my brain was putting all kinds of negative thoughts into my mind. You know, things like, hey, you're probably a step slower because of these surgeries and coaches aren't going to be interested in reaching out to you about playing for their college or university. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, I'm still playing at an elite level and coaches are still reaching out about the possibility of going there to their school and play. And I remember I was like, no, I've got to change that narrative. I've got to change it to something that's more positive. And when I was in high school, I, I played with a, there was a, a, an individual in our conference named Isaiah Thomas, who went to the University of Indiana and played for Bobby Knight, who was probably at the time the best college basketball coach. And we used to see each other in the summer. And I, I asked him, you know, what was Knight like and things like that. And he said, Knight's got this great quote, this great saying that goes like this, mental is to physical as four is to one. So here's this great coach teaching elite athletes to use their bodies to be great players on the court. But what he was really saying with that quote is that your your mind or your mindset is four times more important than anything that your physical body is ever going to do. So I, I, I realized early on, probably 15, 16 years old, that you know, we're all going to have negative thoughts in our in our life. We're human beings. The, the, I don't care how positive you are, you're going to have negative thoughts. But you need to take those negative thoughts, flip them and turn them to something that's more positive, because if you do that, then your mind will start to expect more positive things and less negative things. Absolutely. And there's so many examples of that all over the place, whether it comes to athletics or in business or in health. I mean, all the people who are at the top, all the people who are doing great things and feeling great don't have a negative mindset. They don't, they've never let things get to them to the point where they gave up. It's, it's a matter of that, of, of seizing, okay, I can, I can take control. I can do this. And that's how they get there. Um, I don't think anybody would argue with that at all. You know, but, but the other part of that is that, you know, I don't care how positive you are. And I think this is really important. We all kind of have those doubts, you know, those, yeah. mm, I don't, yeah, yeah, I'm going to overcome that doubt. But it's not like, you know, there are these superhuman people that, you know, they never get down, they, they never doubt themselves, they never wonder whether their business is going to be successful or not, and things like that. Those things are natural. Those things are, are, are just, they're, they're baked in, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of a, a defense mechanism, for lack of a better word. So, you know, I don't want people to think that, I'm always positive that, you know, no that nothing bad ever happens there. Believe me, I, I, I get down. I feel sorry for myself. I cry. I do all that kind of stuff through my cancer journey. So don't feel that, you know, well, I could never do that because, you know, I have these down days. Trust us. We all have those down days. Of course. Of yeah. Course. Yeah. Absolutely. It's truly how we process it, though. After right. the cry, right. after the dark night of the soul. One of the other words that you used in your writing is anti-fragile. And I love that word about how do we not just learn from the darkness or the, you know, whatever's going on, but how do we actually 
exceed it somehow or bounce back somehow or pivot or change. It's it's really all in the response to that hardness of life. It, it is. Or or even embrace it. You know, it's like oh, here it okay. is. I, I'm I'm gonna take it. Okay, yeah, I realize that. And but that's just it. I think we all kind of panic when we get into those, oh my gosh, you know, this is you know, and I'm starting to doubt myself and all. And, it, and it's really interesting because we all become what we think. When I was in high school, I remember there was a coach. I don't remember where I read this, but there was a coach supposedly that wanted to improve his basketball team's free throw shooting percentage. And so he did an experiment. He, he took half the team and after practice, half the team shot an extra 50 free throws. And the other half sat on the bench and closed their eyes and visualized themselves shooting those free throws. And at the end of the season, he compared percentages and he found that the players that didn't actually shoot the free throws, but actually saw it into their mind, thought about it because in their mind, they never missed, you know, on, on the court, when you were practicing, yeah, you missed from time to time. Those people who just visualized it had a higher free throw shooting percentage than the people who actually did it. But the interesting thing about that, you know, kind of fast forward what we know about neuroscience is that the part of your brain that lights up where those synapses are being uh, are firing and, and where you're making those connections when you're actually shooting free throws versus when you're thinking about shooting those free throws, that's the exact same area that you're using in your brain. So I always kind of caution people, be careful what you think. Because you become what you think. If you keep mm -hmm. telling yourself you can't do something, eventually your brain's going to get hardwired to, yeah, I can't do that because I thought about not doing it so much. So why not just think about doing it and being successful at it? That's exactly yeah. right. I have this coin on my desk. It says, Amor Fate. And, and on the back, it says, not merely to bear what is necessary, but to love it all. It's about loving, loving all of life. It, it reminds me of bearing it all, right? Loving all of life, right? Yeah, we just can't love the good stuff. You know, we got to love the bad stuff because the bad stuff a lot of times leads us to the good stuff. That's yeah. right. And that's, yeah. that's your second truth, which was, is embrace. Good segue. Yeah. yeah. Embrace the pain and discomfort we all experience in life and use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual. Our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort yep. True. and yes. to seek pleasure. So to the brain, the, the status quo, the way things are right now, it's comfortable, it's familiar, oh, yeah. just leave it alone, don't mess with it. Yeah. But the problem with that is the only way we're going to grow, the only way we're going to get better, the only way we're going to improve is if we step outside our comfort zones and do things that make us uncomfortable. I'm sure if you surveyed my players, they would tell you one of the things I used to say to them all the time is they needed to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And I remember there was a, and I'm really going to date myself now, but back in the country's uh, bicentennial year, uh, 1976, I was 16 years old. There was a U.S. Olympic swimmer by the name of Shirley Babishaw I had one of the greatest quotes that I ever heard, and a very simple quote, but it goes like this. Winners think about what they want to happen. Losers think about what they don't want to happen. I so winners it. can override their negative brains and focus on the things they want to occur. Whereas people who don't, you know, they can't see the value of pursuing a goal or a dream. We're all going to have pain in our lives. It doesn't have to be 
physical pain. It doesn't have to be a disease or an illness or anything like that. It could be, you know, you break up with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, or the airline you're flying to a vacation on cancels your flight, or you don't get the promotion at work that you think you deserve. Pain is inevitable. Mm -hmm. Suffering is optional. Mm -hmm. Suffering is what you do with that pain. You take it and use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual, or do you wallow in it and feel sorry for yourself and want other people to feel sorry for you? It's a choice. Yep. It is absolutely a choice. And that's one of the things that we talk about with our clients and our groups is that choice, that fork in the road. When you come to a place where you have to make a decision whether to continue on the path that you're on that's not doing anything for you or say, I need to be uncomfortable and make some changes. And it's that fork that is the difference. And it's, you know, everything that you're saying, everything that you're basing your motivational speaking on is all about that fork. It is. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. kind of the old Yogi Berra, you know, the catcher for the New York Yankees. You know, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> Take you it. Know, it's like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and because if you if you stay the same, especially as we get older, if you don't do anything, we end up actually going backwards. Our body, our muscles, our brain, you know, we go yeah. backwards if we aren't working at it. And the discomfort of going backwards is creaky, creaky bodies. <laughs> So we'll be uncomfortable either way. Why not be uncomfortable living, living life right. instead? Right. And, and, and I always recommend to people, and I try to do this every single day of my life, do one thing every day that makes you nervous, that scares you, that makes you uncomfortable, that's potentially embarrassing. It doesn't have to be a big thing. But if you do those small things every day, when the big disasters in life hit us, and they hit all of us, you know, we lose somebody who's close to us, you know, we we lose our job, we're living on, out of our car, whatever it is, you'll be so much more resilient to handle those things than those people who never want any discomfort in their life. You know, it's kind of the old Shawshank Redemption quote that, you know, get busy living or get busy dying. If you're not growing, you're dying. It's, you know, a tree, it's the same way. A marriage, it's the same way. The relationship, same way. It's us the same way. If you're not growing, then you're dying. So you've got, the only way to grow is to do those things that make us uncomfortable. Yeah. Ah, what, what, what uncomfortable thing are we going to do today? That's right. <laughs> so, so number three on, on these four truths is what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. That's, yeah, that's kind of a legacy truth. And I think we sort of touched on that a, a little bit earlier. I, I do think it is important that we sort of think about the end game of our life, regardless of what stage of life we're in, whether we're just kind of starting out middle age or coming to the end of the road. I actually have friends that uh, read the obituary page, some of them in the newspaper, some of them online every day for two reasons. One, to keep themselves humble and two, to realize that someday somebody's going to be reading their obituary, yep. you know, and, and I, I told you the story about, you know, going and planning my funeral. And it, it was kind of interesting to talk with the mort the mortician, the, the woman at the, at the mortuary about, because I don't think she got a lot of people that kind of walked in and said, yeah, I'm probably coming to the end of my life. I want to plan this. I, I think people do pre-plan, but it's not pre-planned with the idea that I'm going to die, you know, soon kind of thing. So it, she was a little freaked out by that. But for me, it was just, 
it was just a natural process. And, and maybe I'm weird, but I've always loved cemeteries. My my grandmother taught me to drive in a cemetery in Chicago. She figured I couldn't kill anybody there. So it was like, <laughs> you know, let's let's go out and drive around for a while and stuff like that. But I, I've always enjoyed them. They've always been for me places of of peace. And and I kind of as I would walk around and be like, you know, I wonder what that person was like or what that person was like or or, or things like that. So it, it's uh it's gonna be interesting. The the cemetery I'm being buried in. Uh Two of his most famous people are one, Bozo the Clown, the original <laughs> Bozo the Clown. It's like, there you go. <laughs> and then uh, Jack Swagger, who, if you saw the movie Apollo 13 with Tom uh, Hanks, yeah. uh, Jack Swagger was Kevin Bacon's character, uh, uh, who played the command module pilot, who uh, got out of the astronaut corps, was elected to Congress here in Colorado, but died of cancer before he could take uh, take office. So... The three of us are going to get together. Plus, the nice thing about it is the Coors beer train cuts right through the cemetery four times a day. So Perfect. there'll be plenty of liquid and I'm being buried right above a dentist. So I'm sure I'll have good teeth for the rest of my you know, eternity. So. Uh, that's right. That's Another one of the things that we talk about with our clients is that when you think of yourself on your deathbed or you think about yourself gone, what do you want people to think of you as like, Oh, she did this or she was like this. You know, you think about that and live up to that identity of what you want them to say about you once you're gone, or even maybe before you're gone, what do you want people to talk about you about? Like, yeah, that, that person's dynamic. That's a, whatever you want, you can do, you can live that right now. You don't have to do it. Start right now, start living the life you want people to see you as. Um, Absolutely. And, 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 I, and I think that's important. But death scares us because it's an unknown. Yeah. And, and because of that, people don't want to think about that. And, and I found that, especially with my cancer, where there are people, even some of my neighbors that are like, you know, when I, hey, I went to the cemetery, I played, oh, no, nope, nope, we don't want to talk about that. No, that's not something we're comfortable with. And it's like, OK, I'll respect that. But, you know, running away from it or turning away from it is not going to make it any less prevalent in your life when those close to you and then eventually yourself end up in that same situation. It, it's the only thing we experience in life that all of us get. Yep. That's yeah. So number four, as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. Yeah, I think that's pretty self-explanatory, but <laughs> the way that resonates with me is this. Someday my pain is going to end. It, it may end through surgery. It may end through some type of new medication coming about. It quite frankly may end when I die. But the way I look at it is if I quit, if I give up, if I give in to pain, then pain is always going to be a part of my life. It may not be physical pain, but it'll be that mental or emotional pain that I'm always carrying around because I kind of feel I gave up. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I think we all have a breaking point, you know, but that that breaking point, at least in my experience, is so much further down the road than we ever thought it would be. So many people have an impediment put in their path and they just quit. They, they fold. And, and then they, and it was funny when I got cancer, they start blaming people. You know, you got to blame somebody because you weren't successful. Like, got to blame my parents or my station in life or my boss or whoever it ends up being. So when I got cancer, people were like, well, who do you blame? I'm like, what? 
like, well, you, you, you've got to blame somebody. I'm like, no, why would I blame somebody? And then when they find out I have a faith life, they're like, well, you must blame God. I'm like, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, checked his to-do list and said, Terry Tucker, cancer today. I, I don't think that at all. But I do believe that God has given me the strength to get through these last 10 plus years. Yeah, I can't help but think of analogies through sports, the quitting part too. I think, you know, I, I'm a tennis player and I watch, I love watching professional tennis player. And just like any other sport, you watch these players at that level, or it doesn't matter what level really, the ones who are literally lose the game or lose the match or whatever it is, at that level especially, they they don't quit. They, they might be down uh, so much that you think there's no way they're ever going to come back. But no matter what, they they don't quit. They fight till the very end. And I love seeing that because you never know, first of all, what's going to happen. And and we've all seen, you know, where people have been so down and then they never give up and, and things turn around for them. Of course, that might not happen that often, but it does. But the idea is that if you don't quit and you fight till the very end, and maybe you don't win the match, the game, whatever it is, but you can walk away and say, you know what I got out of that? You know, I learned so much for myself. I learned so much. There, It's it's a different mindset as we're talking about to quitting and saying, I can't do it. I suck. This to I fought till the very end and I didn't realize I had it in me to get there or whatever. I learned this about myself. It's a very different mindset of people who quit and people who don't quit regardless of whether you win or lose. And you're absolutely right. Yeah. And that's, I think that's an important, a really important point when we talk about success is people kind of look at people who we would quote unquote say are successful and think that they never had tough times. They never <laughs> failed. They never <laughs> lost along the way. And I've always believed that the road to success is paved with failure, paved absolutely. Uh, you know, with right. all these mistakes that we've made but you don't see that. You don't see, you know, I, re I remember our daughter went to the Air Force Academy, unfortunately, or fortunately, she got my height to play basketball. And, and I can't tell you the number of days we would sit, sit in the gym and she would put up thousands and thousands and thousands of shots, you know, in a hot, humid, sweaty gym, getting ready for her to be good in a game. Well, you see the game. She was successful in the game. What you didn't see is all the ugliness that goes in to preparing to be successful. Jerry Rice, the former wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers Hall of Fame player, used to have a saying, he said, today I will do what others won't so that tomorrow I can do what others can't. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the difference between successful people and unsuccessful people is today you're going to do the things you're going to be in that hot, ugly gym. You know, you're going to spend all those hours in the classroom learning to be a doctor or dentist or a lawyer. You, you know, you're going to put in all that overtime at your company so that one day you can sit in that corner office. But nobody sees that stuff. And that's that's what makes those people successful. It's not just raw talent. It's what they do with it. Yeah. Yeah. As my husband uh, says, it's falling in love with the mundane. Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a great Falling in one. love with the mundane gets you gets you the medal or gets you the success you're you're driven for. Right. Yeah. yeah there, you're also bringing me to mind the podcast is Guy Raz, How I Built This. 
And in that, he always interviews people of, of businesses that are very familiar to us, some that aren't so much, but people who have, who have made it doing whatever they do. And the best thing about that podcast is hearing all of the failures, all of the all of the hard work that they did to get where they are, because we only see the CEO or the business in its, you know, how, how successful, oh my gosh, they're millionaires. They're, they're doing this, but we didn't hear about the 20 years they spent unknown working so hard, failing and getting to the point and learning what they needed to learn to get to where they are now. And it's that exactly what you both are talking about, the mundane and the failures before you shine, but they can't, they couldn't shine. If they hadn't gone through that, you know, you don't just start off successful. No, not one person ever starts off successful. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no such thing as an overnight success, you know, no. and everybody seems to think that, you know, this this artist burst onto the scene and, you know, yeah, but you didn't see all the little clubs that they played and, and all the places that rejected them and things like that. You yeah. didn't see all that, nope. you know, all you see is the success part of it. And, and that's what, I think people don't understand. It's 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 what you do behind the scenes. It's the ugliness. It's the pain. It's the sweat. It's the toil. It's the hours that you put into something. And and the other thing about it is, with no guarantee that you are ever going to be successful. And I think that, that you know the word that sums that up to me is grit. And, and how much grit do you have? How much are you willing you know to sort of let that sandpaper? polish you know your your rock and and you know to make it into that diamond and things like that and and a lot of people they're not willing to put in that amount of time for an unknown outcome yeah yeah and just to draw the parallel to health you know it's that it's it's all the work that you do to to gain health or to gain vibrancy that it's not pretty you know it's not it's not always fun it's not always whatever you know all these things where you know, you get to a point where you're you're fit, you you're healthy, you feel good, and people look at you and they're like, "Oh, wow, look at you!" And what they don't see is all of the work behind the scenes, like we're talking about. But it's so important to do that. And and here it is, where that is a lot different than business, maybe perhaps or or sports. It's almost guaranteed, not hundred percent, but it's almost guaranteed the result of that. You know, of doing the work behind health you know, is like, if you do that work, you're going to have some level of better health. But, you know, I think a lot of times on the, on the health side, it, a lot of times the deck is stacked against you, you know, whether it's the amount of sugar that's in all, all the, the yep. prepackaged foods that we just take for granted and eat and things like that. And I remember when I first got cancer, one of the diagnostic tools that my doctor would use was a PET scan. And a PET scan is basically injecting radioactive sugar into you, waiting an hour, and then putting you into a scanner because cancer cells are have a higher metabolism. They pick up the, the cancer and they glow and, and stuff like that. So, I, you know, I, I'm not the brightest bear in the woods, but it, I kind of figured, well, maybe sugar isn't something that I should be eating, you know, right. or or at least maybe I should cut down on the amount of sugar that I am eating. And, and, and I try to do that just because of knowing that cancer cells take up that sugar as quickly as they do and use it for fuel. So why am I fueling something that's trying to kill me? So I, you know, it's just, it's just a different way of looking at it and making a, a, a legitimate choice. You know, again, we can't cut everything out, but at the same time, you can decide 
you know, whether I'm going to eat that salad or I'm going to eat that, you know, fried chicken sandwich. Now, the fried chicken sandwich probably tastes better, but but the salad is much better for you, especially when you pour on all the, you know, gallons of ranch dressing that I usually pour on my salad. So, you know. <laughs> There's no judgment here. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your work as a motivational speaker, too. I mean, we obviously we've seen we already have heard a lot of your motivational speaking, but tell us like what got you, we know that you were diagnosed with cancer 10 years ago, but tell us how you got to this stage and tell us what it's like doing this and the, and who you meet and how that all works. Cause that's, that's fun stuff. <laughs> it, it, it is. And you know, I made the, the brilliant business decision to start a motivational speaking business right as COVID hit. So I, I don't think anybody will take business advice from me th these days. So, you know, like everybody else who had a business, when COVID hit, I had to figure out how I was going to deliver a service in a different way. And so I remember somebody had reached out to me and said, would you like to be a guest on my podcast? And I, and this is the honest truth. I looked at him, I'm like, what's a podcast? I, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Right. And, and they explained it to me. It's like, okay, that seems to be an opportunity to maybe get my message out. So my first podcast, I, I kid you not, I had the camera here. I had notes all around the, the camera, you know, and, and they would ask me a question and I would be like, okay, the answer to that, and, you know, and I would read it. I was so bad. I was so terrible when I first started out. The day before yesterday, I did a podcast uh, with a, a former uh, NFL player, National Football League lineman, big, huge guy, and he has his own podcast. And we were talking and he said, you know, when I first started my podcast, I was scared to death. I'm like, you're like 6'6", 300 pounds. What do you mean you were scared to death? He's like, I had no idea if I was going to be any good. I had no idea how to do this. So for me, it was using the podcast format to try to get my message out. And then when things kind of opened up, and for me, it's, it's still difficult because I still have tumors in my lungs getting COVID could be potentially deadly for me. So, you know, you have to balance. I, I was down uh, in Colorado Springs, the, the South Carolina Bankers Association had their annual convention down there and they asked me to be a keynote speaker. And I can't tell you how good it felt to be around people, you know, and, and not through a screen, not through a camera, but just to actually physically shake hands with people and talk face to face. And it, it was just, it, it made me feel alive again you know i mean doing this over the internet is great and, and through a camera but it's not the same as if the three of us were sitting down you know for coffee somewhere and, and just talking about this so it's just been a it's been good for me physically and mentally to kind of do that and then just to kind of tell my story in the hope that maybe there's somebody out there that that story is going to resonate with i i don't purport to have all the answers i, I don't i mean what I do is say, this has worked for me. Maybe it'll work for you. If it does, please take it and incorporate it in your life. Yeah. Well, that's it. I think it's it's hearing your story. And it's not that you're saying, do this and do this and do this and do this. You're just saying, here it is. And this is what I've learned. And that's beautiful because I think as a culture, especially, we are waiting to get answers all the time from the outside. We want answers from the outside. Please tell me how to do this or what I should do to solve this problem. And ultimately, as we tell people, the answer is always here. And if you tell people your truth, your answers, they'll get what they need to out of it. 
and so that they can form their own truth and their own answers. And that's the best possible way because that's the most meaningful way. It is. It, it, it absolutely is. And, and I don't think you realize, at least I didn't. I, I had, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I, I had a nurse who, when I first met her, she was already a nurse, but she was in training in the unit where I get my infusions every three weeks. And a couple of months ago, she was taking care of me by herself. And, and she's relatively young. She's, she's about 25 years old. And she, she said to me, she said, Terry, I got, I got a story I want to tell you, but I'm a little uncomfortable telling you. I, I didn't know how to respond to that. You know, it's like, well, it sounds like it might be a good story. I'd like to hear it if, if you feel comfortable <laughs> telling me. And she came back, you know, she was in and out and came back a couple hours later and said, all right, here's the story. She said, when I first met you, she said, I was going to get out of nursing. I'd had a good friend of mine that had died. I was in a really dark place. I talked to my mom and dad. I was going to quit nursing and I was going to go to work for Amazon. And then I met you and I read about your story and I saw how every day you come here and you throw up and you shake and you go through all this stuff, but you keep coming back. And she said, and I knew I was where I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Now, if she would have never told me that story, I would have had no idea that my life had impacted her in a positive way. And when I was growing up, there was a basketball coach at UCLA by the name of John Wooden. And Wooden had a great quote that went, a careful person I want to be, a little person follows me. I dare not go astray for fear they may go the same way. And, you know, I think about that, about how many people are out there that, Wendy, Debbie, they would love to be in your shoes. You have no idea who those people are. But they they're watching you like a hawk. And I'm not saying you've got to live a life that's not true to yourself, that you've got to live a life that somebody else wants you to live. But at the same time, understand that no matter how bad things are for you, there's somebody else out there that would give everything they have just to walk in your shoes for one day. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really powerful story. Yep. We take so much for granted that we don't even realize we're doing. No. Yeah. And every once in a while, those reminders where we meet someone like you who's going through a journey of cancer and going through times where it's really rough, where you're sick and you can't do much of anything, or you hear about, you know, the hurricane devastation down in Florida, or you hear about the war over in Ukraine. You know, there's it's it's a matter of counting your blessings and and every day thinking, like you said, being a little bit uncomfortable because we have these blessings. And we won't always have these blessings. So why not live live that little bit extra because you don't know what's right around the corner. You really don't. You you don't. And the way I look at it is, you know, I can't change the world, but I can change my little piece of it. And, you know, you you can can sort of get overwhelmed when you, you know, hurricanes and war and the economy and everything that's going on. I, I can't do a lot about that stuff. But what I can do is is influence this small little you know, area where I am right now. And if everybody did that, then then maybe things would be a little bit better. That's right. It would raise the energy of the world. That's just it. Yep, exactly. Absolutely. And perhaps a lot of things would get better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Terry, it's been so great talking to you. I'm so glad that we discovered each other because it's, Me too. your messages are so powerful your, you know, just what you've been through and what you've gleaned out of it to share with other people. It's priceless. It really is. Well, thank you both for having me on. I, I've really enjoyed this. I always say it's nice people like you that allow me to come on and have a conversation with them. And, and hopefully between that conversation, we're going to make a positive difference in somebody's life. And if we do, today's been a good day. Yeah. 
Absolutely. How do people get in touch with you if they need to? So I have a blog called Motivational Check. And every day I put a thought for the day up on there. And, and with it comes a question about maybe how you can apply that in your life. Uh, I also have recommendations for videos to watch, books to read. My social media accounts are on there. But you can leave me a message there. So it's motivationalcheck.com will get you to me. Excellent. All right. And they can get your book there as well. They can get my book there. You can get Sustainable Excellence anywhere. You can get a book online, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, Apple iBooks. However uh, you get your books, you can get it there. All right. <laughs> Fabulous. Wonderful. Any Anything else you'd like to share? Let me close with, with a story, if you don't mind. I've always been a big fan of Westerns growing up. When I was young, my mom and dad used to let me stay up late and watch. You guys are young. You're not going to remember these shows. Uh, you know, Gunsmoke and Bonanza. And my favorite was Wild Wild West. 1993, the movie Tombstone came out. You, you may have seen it. It's a huge blockbuster. Still being shown in reruns. Yep. Stars Val Kilmer as a man by the name of John Doc Holliday. Yep. And Kurt Russell as a man by the name of Wyatt Earp. Now, Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp are two living, breathing human beings who walked on the face of the earth. They're not just made up characters for the movie. Now, Doc was called Doc because he was a dentist by trade. But pretty much Doc Holliday was a gunslinger and a card shark. And Wyatt Earp, most of his adult life, had been some form of a lawman. And somehow these two men from entirely opposite backgrounds come together and form this very close friendship. And at the end of the movie, Doc Holliday is dying of tuberculosis at a sanitarium in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which is about three hours from where I live. The real Doc Holliday died at that sanitarium, and he's buried in the Glenwood Springs Cemetery. And Wyatt, at this point in his life, is destitute. He has no money. He has no job. He has no prospects for a job. So every day comes to play guard, cards with Doc and two men pass the time that way. And in this almost final scene in the movie, they're talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, you know, I was in love with my cousin when I was young, but she joined a convent over the affair. But she's all that I ever wanted. And then he looks at Wyatt and he says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt kind of nonchalantly says, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal, there's just life, and get on with living yours. We all probably know people that are sort of sitting back and saying, well, when this happens, I'll have a normal life. Or when that occurs, I'll have a successful life. Or when this arises, I'll have a significant life. What I'd like to leave your listeners with is this. Don't wait. Don't wait for life to come to you. Get out there. Find the reason you were put on the face of this earth. Use your unique gifts and talents and live that reason. Because if you do, at the end of your life, I'm going to promise you two things. Number one, you're going to be a whole lot happier. And number two, you're going to have a whole lot more peace in your heart. That is truly beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. So have a great day today. I hope you, you do have, the same. Yeah. I hope you have some good sunshine out there, enjoying this beautiful fall weather that we get, you know, in, in our four seasons. <laughs> In Absolutely. Our, yeah. our latitudes, right? <laughs> yep. yep. All right. Thanks again. So Thank much. you both. You enjoy. Have a good weekend. You Thank too. You. You too. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. Keep the conversation going at nourishcoaches.com and stay tuned for more nourish noshes as we continue our quest to make the world a healthier place.